Peace, this is your host Krill of Out The Box. The following interview is part of our throwback series of Out The Box Talks. These are interviews that were done prior to the official season one and two of Out The Box Talks. Enjoy. Welcome to another edition of Out The Box Radio. I'm your host Krill. Today we have yet another special interview featuring a very talented and accomplished producer of our time. He's been building his music catalog and artist notoriety for the past decade after making the transition from sampling to composing with live instruments. He played an instrumental role in the soundtrack and editing of the modern exploitation film Black Dynamite. This spawned the release of his 2012 project under the moniker Venice Dawn, Something About April. A mix of psychedelic soul and cinematic instrumentals with hip-hop aesthetics. Within this current year alone, he has managed to release two of the most refreshing soul and hip-hop collabo projects that have more than lived up to the anticipation. Partnering with lead singer William Hart of the Delphonics and also with Ghostface Killer of the world-renowned Wu-Tang Clan. There's so much more to be said about this brother and the contribution he's making to the current state of music. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you my brother, Adrian Young. Welcome hey. to Out the Box, fam. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Man, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure indeed. A lot of things happening with you this year, and I'm just really humbled to be able to build with you, bro. Oh, man, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Um, it feels good that uh, people are taking notice for uh, the kind of art I'm trying to pervade to the people, and I appreciate it. Indeed, brother. Now, there's a whole lot I'd like to talk to you about today, Adrian. But just to set things off, why don't you tell us how you got your start in music? Where did the inspiration all begin? Well, um... I started basically uh, at the end of 96 when uh, for Christmas I got an MPC in a Tascam H-Track Porter studio and I started making beats and um, you know I started sampling records and I started realizing in listening to this music that the music I was sampling was actually exceeding was exceeding the, the level of the music I wanted to create. So basically, I'm a hip hop dude. I always wanted to be a, a hip hop producer. And when I was sampling these old records, that music was surpassing the music I grew up listening to in the golden era, in my eyes. Right. And I realized at that point, I didn't want to sample. I wanted to create live music from that vintage archaic perspective. Um, and so after about a year or two of sampling, I just started buying instruments and started teaching myself how to play. And then in 2000, I came out with my first album called Venice Dawn. And um, that was my album where I just played, I played every single instrument on the album. I just sat there and taught myself how to play until I could actually make something sound good enough. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, between 2000 and 2009, I was just more so into uh, DJing and film. And then in 2009, I edited and composed for the black exploitation movie Black Dynamite. And 
that score is what really kind of put everything on the map. And then after that, in 2011, um, we released on Black Sports Records, released the Something About April album. Right. And then after that, it was the Phonics and then Goldstein. So here we are now. Yes, indeed, indeed. And like I said earlier, two of some of the best collabo projects I've heard all year, and the year's not even up yet. Wow, thanks, No doubt. Now, back in the late 90s, you decided to put down the MPC and uh, make the transition, or I would say evolve to live instrumentation. What was it about your experience with music that drew you to live instrumentation in transitioning out of sampling? Um, I put it this way. Um, you know, us that love that old golden era of hip-hop, you have the quintessential groups such as someone like a Tri-Claw Quest, mm-hmm. you know, or someone like a Soul for Mischief. Right. And um, they sampled the likes of groups like Roy Ayers and Ramp, okay? But when when I was growing up, I was here to try stuff, and I was like, man, music just can't get better than this. And then you get older, and you hear where they got that music from, and it starts blowing your mind even more. And my thing is, I wanted to compete with those guys from yesteryear. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to make music that was challenging their compositional and creative perspective. I wanted to challenge mm-hmm. their brands back then. So, I mean, you can't even, as much as I'm a Wu-Tang fan, Farside fan, Souls of Mischief fan, Tri-Call Clutch fan, you know, that's some of the best music we've heard as far as urban soul music is concerned. But the thing is, like, at the end of the day, that stuff from the early 70s, late 60s always wins. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the old Roy Air stuff, the old Curtis Mayfield stuff, the old Isaac Hayes stuff. You can only go so far with a drum machine. That's the thing. And if you're trying to be the best of your craft, you got to try to do, you have to have the, the best tools to elicit what you really want to elicit. And what I really, what I really wanted to convey to people was just something organic and, and, and forgotten. And that sound is, was captured in those old instruments and I just want to kind of bring that back and keep it progressive. So right. That's fine. Mm. Now at the time that you made the transition from the MPC to the live work, how did your peers or the people that you came up with that were doing music on the MPC take to that? Because I'm thinking back, that was like late 90s that you made the switch. Right. Um, well, it's one of those things where, um, you know, a, a lot of people supported it, but then there were some of those people that looked at me like I was crazy because I didn't play drums and band in high school, and mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to play guitar in a music class. You know, I didn't know how to read music. I still don't know how to read music. And people looked at me like, I was crazy and a little over ambitious and I just believed in myself and did it. So I had support. I had some people that were kind of hated. But um, at the end of the day, I just really believed in myself and just made it happen. Definitely. 
Now, it's not every day that you hear a story that an artist decides to take it upon themselves to teach themselves instruments. Where would you say that motivation came from? Just listening to the music. That's it. I mean, you know, you listen to that old music, and that's the stuff that people want to sample the most. If you think about the golden era of hip-hop, most of those samples were from late 60s to early 70s soul music. And also, and also old classic rock, progressive rock stuff. That was, that was another golden era of music. So my thing is, I just wanted to be part of that earlier era and take those components and push it forward like a hip hop producer would do in the 90s, but with live instruments. You know what I'm saying? Like open up the chord structure, push it past just the loop, all that stuff. I was watching a video of you on Crate Diggers where you were talking about the relationship between album cover art and the music. Do you feel that the concept of album art and its significance to music has evolved? Um, well, you know, it's kind of hard for me to answer that because, as you know, I own a record store and yeah. I don't listen to any modern music. That's not to say that modern music isn't great, because there's a lot of great modern music out there, but I, all I do is collect records and listen to old music. So when it comes to seeing modern art and all that stuff, I have no idea what people are even doing right now. All I do is study old art. So, I mean, I, you know, so, but from what I've seen, there's still great album covers, just great artists right. out there. But back then, back then, people were making art with their hands, and with photography. Nowadays, people are making art with computers. So right. um, there's a give and take. There's advantages, but then there's some disadvantages. So I guess it goes hand in hand. I mean, I, I could make the argument that there's great artwork today and there's great art, artwork back then, but I'm just more of an old soul and my preference is just the old artwork style. Right, right. And I brought it up too because I found I never really looked at album art myself in the way that you viewed it mm -hmm. that it actually is a reflection of the music that's on the record and it just made me think I was wondering how much of that is being carried over into the modern world today you know that concept of album art and its connection to the music well I mean people that take their music seriously do that but then there, but then again there's, a, there's some of those people that make a mixtape every week right. and just take, put a picture of themselves on the cover and move Mm -hmm. to keep it moving. So, I mean, there's people that take it seriously. Some people there are just putting out albums because it's easy and cheap. So, I mean, it's criminal. Definitely. We're currently living in the present stage of digital music where we got iPods, MP3s, music playlists, and uh, music is being released at a abundant rate. Where sometimes for me, I just feel like I'm jumping all over the place. I'm from one project to the next. But back in the days, I felt like even with a CD player, I could listen to a complete album and not get distracted. I could have one album playing for a series of like two months at least and not lose focus of the project. Do you feel like this digital age of music has cheated us out of the complete experience we used to have with an entire album? Absolutely. That's why I'm a strong proponent of having no more than 
one or two producers on the album, really just one producer on the album. You know, and that's why, like, I, I get lit up all the time to submit beats for people. I don't do it. You know, I always say that I, I if I'm going to do, if I'm going to do music with you, I'd rather do a project. If I'm not doing a project with you, I'm just going to do a project with somebody else because that's what me personally, the kind of music I do and the kind of music I like to listen to, that's germane to what I believe in. So, you know, that's what I do. I mean, that that whole structure really kind of changed when Nas got all those producers and made a killer album with various producers. That was a novel concept at that time. You know, uh, but but then again, that spawned uh, that, 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 that spawned a well, it just it just formed change in the industry, man. It made a lot of rappers not really focus on an album comp- compositionally, maybe mm-hmm. lyrically, but not compositionally. Mm-hmm. You know, and music is composition. When you're just focusing on lyrics and that's right. it, then it doesn't seem as cohesive. The music has to be just as cohesive. There's a reason why when you listen to Low End Theory, that album front to back is just it's just a big big pie you know the song's just this is a pie we all make sense like that a lot of albums today is just you know we're trying to get that hit which one's going to be the hit and they just make a bunch of different songs and see which one sticks right great point man so with that being said do you feel there's anything we can do just as listeners or supporters of music right now is there anything that we can do to regain that complete experience? Um, I mean, now music is education. So everyone, when they study their history, they become more educated. And by studying your history, it inspires progressive change for the future. Because people go back and, and regurgitate. Right past artistic choices mm-hmm. to bring them forward. So, I mean, everything always evolves, everything always changes, always going to be the next golden era of this, golden era of that. I mean, we'll just see what happens. I, I, I really have no idea. I, I just, my thing is, like I said, when I make music, I'm, I'm so much in my own world that I don't even pay attention to stuff that's going on. So I'm always the, the worst person to make an assessment. And like I said, it's not, it's not just because I think I'm so cool I'm just so over everybody. It's, it's far from that. It's just that when I'm making music, I make music for myself to enjoy. Because I feel when you start making music just for other people, you start losing who you are. Right. And I think I feel like that's how legendary artists really lose it. I mean, you look at people like Isaac Hayes and Curtis Mayfield. Then they start falling off. They start falling off when they start trying to make disco stuff. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when a lot of these cats start trying to that hit a lot of times sometimes they're not the music starts falling off I mean I, you know, I just just follow what I personally believe in in my head I place the audience in my head and then I hope that the world stays tuned to what I have in my head if they don't all good you know but that's just my personal mantra and because of that you know I, I just I'm kind of out of it a little bit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well said, man. Well said, bro. P. 
people, you are now in tune to Out the Box Radio. This is your host, Krill. I got the homie Adrian Young on the line today. We're going to actually take a music break, uh, Adrian. Uh, let's uh, go into a joint of the Venice Dawn Something About April project. Uh, the song is called Anime. Uh, so let's go into it. Okay. Out the Box Radio, Adrian Young. This is Anime. Check it out. Hey, hey, baby. Now don't you cry. I wanted to rap to you today, and uh, here's the reason why. I wanted to tell you just exactly how I feel. So you would have no doubt this thing. Welcome back to Out the Box Radio. I'm your host, Krill. I got my brother, Adrian Young, on the line. 
You just heard anime off the Something About April album by Adrian Young under the moniker Venice Dawn. Now, Adrian, I had heard that this album, Something About April, was done to actually entice producers who might be looking for obscure breaks to sample. What mindset did y'all have to be in to create a breaks record, but at the same time, have it flow like a complete album? Well, I mean, my everything I do is from that break perspective. So the music I do, every song, pretty much if I have an album of 12 songs, at least 11, 10 or 11 of the songs are going to have some kind of break that I would want to personally sample if I was a hip-hop producer. And that's how I try to make it because I love listening to that kind of music. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, that kind of music has been done for decades. But a lot of people don't modernly do that type of music. You know, it's like hip-hop heads like myself and DJs, there's a lot of old music that we listen to because we wait for that break, we wait for that moment. So, you know, my, my, my idea was like, well, why not make modern music like that? And um, that's something that I did in composing that album and it's something I continue to do. Right. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's a track on that album, Something About April, that Jay-Z supposedly sampled for his latest album, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Yeah. The track of yours is called Sirens. Do you know how Jay-Z might have gotten a hold of it? Uh, well, Timbaland's a producer, and basically one of my, one of my men at White Boardix was, was building with their camp with my man Hip Hop, uh, and he forwarded to uh, Timbaland, and Timbaland dug it and just flipped it, and Jay-Z liked it and did his thing, you know? So, I mean, it was just kind of natural like that. Right. So yeah, that song, this song on the Jay Z album, on the Magna Carta album, so it's called Picasso, and that's where they looped Sirens. And I made that song hoping someone like a Jay Z would like to flip that, and it just kind of happened. So kind of, kind of lucked out. Dope, man. That's 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 so great, man. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, this opportunity helps to take you to another level in terms of uh, expanding your name in the music biz. Are you currently getting other opportunities to work with bigger names in music? You know, are people uh, reaching out for more of your production? Yeah, I got I got a few projects that I'm working on right now that I can't necessarily announce yet, but okay. the answer is yeah, okay. definitely. And I'm doing things, yeah, so Dope. some great things are happening right now. Wow, that's great, man. How does that make you feel knowing where you've come from to get to this point well it feels great man because you know you, you gotta set your goals high in life and when That's you true. see your goals coming into fruition there's no better reward because you've worked so hard and you planted all those seeds and when you actually see one grow especially when it's not really supposed to grow especially when the circumstances don't necessarily allow for something like that to happen and it happens mm-hmm. it feels good because you know, it's really a result of just hard work and believing in yourself and continuing self-investment. Right. And um, I'm very happy about that. Dope. Now, I want to talk to you about the Black Dynamite movie and soundtrack. When I first heard about the film, 
I knew you were involved with it musically, but I didn't know you actually edited the film. Yeah. Was all of the music on the soundtrack recorded before the film's visuals were shot? Um. Well, yeah. First of all, I did all the original music on there. We also licensed music from like the old KPM music libraries and all that stuff. So as far okay. as the original stuff, I okay. wrote music while I was editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the movie was finished, I wrote some more music because there was just some stuff. Like I didn't feel that album was complete yet, so I had to write some extra stuff for it. Mm. Okay, so how did the visuals in the editing process have an impact on the interpretation of the music you would create moving forward? You know, all the other music that came after the editing. Well, basically, I mean, uh, there was just music I wanted to have on there that made the score feel complete. Um, There's stuff that, you know... That's a little more hip hop oriented, like has more of a Wu Tang type flavor. Some of that stuff, I, I, did, I didn't have time to get that into the film, but I still wanted that to be on the score because I felt that right. so it just felt right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just made stuff like that just to make the album feel complete because, like I said, the album was supposed to be one piece of pie and the songs are just pieces of the pie. Mm-hmm. The pie wasn't complete yet, so I just finished the pie. Right. And you know, I. I asked the question really because I know a lot of your music influence comes from cinema and the fact that you were actually editing the film, I was just curious to know how the visuals played a part in the actual music, like just seeing the visuals and manipulating the way you wanted to take the music after actually seeing and witnessing the visuals. Well, well, basically as a composer, my job is to enhance the, the visuals. So I'm an audio-visual artist. So if there's something I'm looking at, my job is to figure out what to do to make that scene even feel and look better. Right. To have it become more compelling. So when I'm looking at a picture and I'm in my studio behind my instruments, I start writing and if it makes it feel right, makes it feel good, I continue in that direction. So it's not anything that's really difficult. It's just something where you got to really focus I think about what the feeling's supposed to be and just make it happen. Um, right. So, you know, that's that's all it is. I mean, when you see a visual, if you're making a song that's supposed to be about love and you got a, some sort of love scene on the screen, you got to just keep on playing stuff until it feels right in your heart. And that's it. Yeah. Mm. Right. Definitely, man. Understood. Now, after Black Dynamite, I know that you went on to be a part of the cartoon series and other great things came your way. How do you feel the whole experience of being involved with the Black Dynamite film benefited your career moving forward? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. And so the last one again, as far as the cartoon, how the cartoon what? Yeah, how do you feel the whole experience of being involved with the Black Dynamite film benefited your career moving forward? Well, basically, the whole experience benefited me because it. Any time you do a project, it always makes you better. First of all, because right. anytime you you work hard, it's kind of like lifting weights, mm-hmm. you get stronger. So, and doing all that stuff, I just got stronger as a composer, as a as a player, so as a producer, engineer. So, it helped me in that way, but it also helped me because 
it gave me a wider audience for my music because my music isn't really top 40 music you know right. something that is, is from a it's from a more of a another time and to have a platform like that to tell my stories and tell the way I feel it was just something where I was just locked out and mm-hmm. it just helped me get to where I am right now and here you are now a few years later and you're the talk of the year, working with Ghostface, the Delphonics, and now you even got Jay-Z sampling you. <laughs> That's dope. So here's what, Adrian, let's uh, go into another music break. Uh, I want to actually go into a track off the Black Dynamite soundtrack. It's called Chicago Wind, which is actually a standout track for many reasons, but we'll talk about that when we come back. So here it is, Adrian Young, Chicago Wind, off the Black Dynamite soundtrack. Keep it locked right here without the Vox Radio. Thank <laughs> you. 
Welcome back to Out the Box Radio once again. I got my brother Adrian Young on the line. The track that you just heard was uh, called Chicago Wind off the Black Dynamite soundtrack. Loving that joint, Adrian. Ah, oh, man. Just, just really, really dope. Really, really dope stuff here, man. Now, when you create music like this with all these different change-ups and obscurities in the sound, is it using some sort of organized structure to the way it's created, or is it just the flow and vibe happening with the band in the studio? I mean, it's just more like you kind of think about, well, if I was a producer and I was, making, and I was trying to look for a sample, what would the sample be? So the sample would be like when she says Chicago win, you kind of, your chance to like run it thin and then you just make a song around the sample. So I mean, that's just kind of what it is. Everything just kind of flows after that, you know. Definitely. Now, how do you see yourself elevating or moving the state of music forward? Even though a lot of your music that I've heard recently is influenced by vintage 60s and 70s soul, uh, you know, music of yesterday. How do you, you see yourself still elevating on music, moving the music forward? Uh, I mean, my thing is, I'm still going to just keep doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love, I love six, late 60s, early 70s. That's the kind of music I'll be making. You know, I won't be really getting too far out of that time frame because, first of all, it's what I like the most. Second of all, I always feel like when artists try to go too far away from the stuff that they really love doing, mm-hmm. You know, that's when they start falling off. You know, I mean, if you guys, if you have a, if you have a group of people that really love your music, they love your mind and, and what you've done. You know, so it's like I'd rather just keep on pushing the envelope within those constraints as opposed to just starting something brand new just for fun. You know what I'm saying? Like I take music really serious, and I just wanted to keep on doing what I absolutely love to do, and it's making music from that time frame. So. Mm-hmm. Just trying to push your envelope within that time frame. Okay. Right. Now, now, in the frame of mu- moving the music forward, I feel like your contribution to the new album you have with Ghostface Killer was something that brought new excitement to hip hop. I felt like it just took Ghostface to another level in terms of his music catalog. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you guys came together to work on the album and who contributed what to the project. Um, basically, Bob Perry, which is the corner of Soul Temple Music with RZA, reached out to me and said, I'd like you to do an album, a Wu-Tang album, and he said, I'd like you to do with Ghost. So I met up with them and, you know, met up with RZA and just started making beats. So I right. sent it to him and he did this thing and, you know, we bounced for for two months and, you know, that's pretty much it, you know I mean? He's just a very cinematic MC and... I wanted to give him a platform to really take his lyrics to the next level, and that's what I tried to do, and I think it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's not much more complicated than that. No doubt. Now, um, how much of it were you involved with in terms of the composition of it, and as well as, like, um, Ghostface? Like, what did he contribute in terms of, you know, the concept and, and the way everything is detailed on the album? Well, basically, um, I came with the concept, and I had help from like my man C. Garcia. He's a part of my band, and he's a very good storyteller. He added components to it, and um, and basically, I wrote a script and gave it to Ghostface and said, "Write to the script," and he wrote the song for the script, 
and he elaborated on the story in, in a really positive way and that's basically how that went down no doubt now um I actually want to take another break to go into something from that album um it's actually this album is actually my favorite hip-hop album so far this year for many wow. reasons and um i'll get into that when we come back but um let's go into a joint from that album it's called i declare war off the 12 reasons to die album which features ghostface killer and the producer extraordinaire we have on the line with us today adrian young so here it is i declare war out the box radio there was two stars to dawn, the face of a killer. The voice of the past and presence, I speak thrillers, rock a purple robe. Crusted with 24 karat gold. The chain is chunky like the neck of a monkey. Glass slipper, my wallows is made from lion skin. King of the jungle ain't shit about me, humble rock a black panther hoodie. Nigga, made from panther skin. I'm black on the outside and black within. The hood superhero, the motherfucking Don Dada. The Don Wilson, nigga, I do what I gotta. I'm a boss, them Delucas try to front of my skin tone. I left the family, start a fam on my own. A black Italiano, big pinky rings from Sicily. I move like the dawn of the fam, it's officially. Wartime stalking on some black Avengers. Shadow boxing with killers that move like ninjas. Stop my reign to terrorize the power. Tone stars, new king in his crime, y'all better cower. War, war in the Lucas. Bulletproof jet planes, nigga, you can't shoot us. Can't stop my reign to terrorize the power. Tone stars, new king in his crime, y'all better cower. I'm prepared to go to war for the battle of supremacy. There's nothing now to remedy this decision. The only thing left is the loyalty of the family. Cause once we establish the power, they gon' turn sour and use everything in their power to shut us down. We've come too far to turn around, Tone. Got a new connect, Don Stone flew his private jet from Rome to talk business. He heard your crime saga poems, looking to invest millions. It's up to you, Tone. This move can make us both rich. Your crew is armed, cocked, and ready to rock steady. It's non-stop hustling flow to own casinos with Rizzo Tarantino. It's Woo Gambino for life. You know how we go until the last breath blow. Me amigo. I declare war. War with the Lucas. Bulletproof jet planes, nigga, you can't shoot us. Can't stop my reign to terrorize the power. Toast stars, new king in his crime, y'all better cower. War. War with the Lucas. Bulletproof jet planes, nigga, you can't shoot us. Can't stop my reign to terrorize the power. Toast stars, new king in his crime, y'all better cower. Born into a world where violence, death, and destruction surrounded him at every turn. Tony Starks took control of his own destiny and expired to become one of the foremost leaders of the criminal underworld. Regardless of his will and the ability to run the streets with invincibility, there were still those who chose to stand in his way. Welcome back to Out the Box Radio. Got the brother Adrian Young on the line. You just heard I Declare War off the 12 Reasons to Die album that he has with Ghostface Killer. Now, Adrian, another thing I really loved about this project is that it came with some exclusive bonus accessories. 
you had the additional comic book the instrumentals and the initial limited edition apollo brown version on cassette I recently uh, had a conversation with Apollo Brown, uh, who told me that he uh, he didn't hear the actual original album before he, um, you know, recorded his version. Like, all he had was Ghost's vocals. So, um, I was just curious to know, um, when, you, when you heard uh, the Apollo Brown tape, um, what did you think about the way it was put together? Well, to be honest with you, I still haven't even heard the Apollo Brown version yet. I've heard For a real? couple songs on it. Yeah, I've heard a couple songs in it, but it, it's okay. not. It's not. It's not because I don't feel like listening to it. It's one of those things where, like, I still haven't met Apollo Brown in person. We talked on the phone, and it's something where, like, when I met him, I wanted to sit there and listen to it with him. Like, right. I wanted to be special. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be special. So, like, like I, I've been forcing myself not to listen to it so that I can have that special moment with him. Wow. You know, so yeah, that, that, that's more why I haven't listened to it yet. Wow. Okay, yeah. so, but you did hear a few joints. So what did you yeah. think of uh, the interpretation he had on, on some of the songs that you heard? Well, I love what he did. You know, I love it. He has that 90s perspective. Right. You know, like the same thing, he's like, same thing I'm doing, but with samples. And I right. like that. And it has that organic feel, you know. He, he, you could tell he, he studies music and it's good, man. He did a really good job. Right. Love everything I've heard so far. Definitely. Now, the story of the album ended in a, a manner that made me think that there would be a possibility for a continuation of the narrative. Is there any chance, you know, you think we might see a possible sequel in the future? I can't really comment on that right now, but... Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, just because yeah, we'll talk about it. So, Keep your fingers I mean, crossed. I mean, I mean that in a very good way. Okay. Way. Yeah. All right. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. I mean, yeah. it's, the album is still fresh, so you yeah, know people fair. people are still getting a chance to really vibe to it. Um, but um, I really I really liked just the, the 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 real the like the entire concept of it and the way that the the um the beats and, and just the, the the entire composition flowed with the album it was something different for ghostface and i think it was something much needed for him in his career at this point you know so much props to you on creating that backdrop for for this album thank you appreciate it you know um another project i actually want to talk to you about um is uh the the project that you put out with our uh, William Hart of the Delphonics. Um, after years of William being away from the music scene, what made him put his trust in you to revamp his career and reintroduce this vintage sound of the Delphonics with this new album? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he, you know, it was one of those things that was just kind of serendipitous, man. It was, you know. Why? Why would any legend want to work with me? I don't know. I'm just happy that they would want to work with me. You right. Know? And um, I was flattered at the opportunity. And um, you know, basically, it just started off from a Twitter message that continued to me getting a hold of him and said, "I want to do an album with you." And came to line up in Philly for us to do this album. And you know, wax poetic saying, "Yeah, we'll back you up on this and we'll do it." And it just happened. You know, I mean, I can't say it's, it's nothing much more than that. It was just a special time. Um, this whole, everything that's going on right now is special for me because 
these are moments you dream of. And when they mm-hmm. happen, you have to step up to the plate and really try to take things to a higher level. And just working with him, learning so much from him, I got that opportunity. I'm just really, really pleased about it. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me a little bit about your history with, with him. How did he... How did he? Um, how did you and him uh, develop a relationship? I don't have a long history with him. Basically, uh, somebody on Twitter hit me up saying that they think that we'd make some music together, and then a few days later, I'm on the phone with him, and then about two months later, he he's out here recording with me, wow. which is crazy like that, you know. Wow. And then from that point on, we just had a really close relationship. So we're just really good friends, and you know, I'm just very happy. Yeah, you know. Uh, when I heard the album, um, I, I was listening to it, and to be honest with you, I really didn't know of much of, of your work previous to this to the Delphonics album. And when yeah. I heard the album, I said immediately it, it sounded like you know some vintage soul stuff, and I, I was a little uh, disinterested because of it. Um, but then I started listening to it, and then it just. I had I had heard so many records like I listened to a lot of R&B, a lot of jazz music and stuff like that, and modern stuff too and it it this this music was just a breath of fresh air because I hadn't heard anything like it in a long time. So as I started to listen to the project more and more, I started to hear like the, the hip hop influences and, and the Wu-Tang, you know, um influences and it just really, it it really turned out being one of my favorite soulful projects of the year because of it sounding so different. And I still can't put my finger on what it is that makes me like the album so much, other than the fact that it sounds different. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's a hard album for a lot of people to digest because it's deep, you know. And I don't say, and when I say it's a hard album for people to digest, it's not that people are telling me they don't like it or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that it's not an easy album. It's really not. Because it, it's, a, it's an album made for, it's like an album made for old record collectors. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's all record collectors and hip hop heads. Because if I had a dude rapping on all those beats, you know, everybody would look at it different. But you got an old soul singer singing on those beats. You know? But the thing is, like, like the message that I was trying to convey with William is that that old soul stuff, that's hip hop back then. They were doing hip hop stuff back then. Delphonics have, have been sampled by so many hip hop people and, and interpolated by so many hip hop groups like the Fugees, mm-hmm. you know, Wu Tang, that like they've been doing this hip hop stuff since the 60s, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm just bringing it forward and it's an education thing. When you listen to it, you start hearing all those hip hop variables. Right. You start seeing the consistency and how, how, how these decisions are synonymous with those decisions that are making, that are being made today by a producer in the studio. Mm-hmm. So it's like once all of those variables are put together, it makes it easier to understand and see what this album is. That's right. why I say it's a difficult album. But it's one of those, like for me, man, it's like, it's, it's very special to me. It's a very, very special album. Right. Because nobody goes back and takes an old hip-hop soul, I mean, an old soul artist like a William Hart and does like a modern hip-hop slash soul album with them. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen, yeah. you know, and that's why this is And um, you know, you you were talking about your your, your um conversation with William. Um, th- what is his take on hip hop? Considering that 
his music was sampled by so many hip hop artists in the past two decades. You he know, loved, from, he, yeah, he loves hip hop, man. He's a big fan of hip hop. Um, he just likes good music. You know, the only thing he he doesn't like when people talk about call girls, bitches, and all the name and all that stuff. But right. with the exception of that, man, he loves he loves the music. He loves it. Mm-hmm. So he was he was privy to Wu Tang and the Fugees and B.I.G. and you know all the other people that sampled his music. Oh, absolutely. He 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 recorded with Wu Tang on Iron Man. The after okay. the smoke cleared, Telefonic and Wu Tang still here. That's him singing with the crew. He's wow. been there. Already. Yeah, and I see that he's on the Enemies track, which actually right. is 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 from um, originally. Yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. So and and so yeah. it just meshed really well. You know, right. um, so also with this project, um, of course, the original members are not of the Delphonics are not on the album. So how were you able to compensate for the other members not being on this Delphonics album that you put out? Well, the, well, William Hart was always the lead singer of the Delphonics. Right. Okay. And the other members changed throughout the year. You had Randy Kane, you had Major Harris. Wilbert was there mostly, basically all the time. But with the exception of him, members changed. And it was always William Hart singing the lead and different vocalists with him. So here we had William Hart singing the lead with different vocalists with him. When he performs Delphonics, when he's traveling the world performing Delphonics, it's not those other members. It's William Hart and two other members of his choice that are part of the band. So right. he owns the name of the Delphonics. The Delphonics are William Hart. That's why this is the Delphonics album. Right, right. Makes 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 much sense now. Uh, and there yeah. was some also there were also some females on the album that were singing as well, or maybe it was a one vocalist, I'm right, not yeah. sure. Yeah, it's one female. You know, her name is Claudia Mills. Okay. Are Great these vocalist. these people in your camp that you you know you, you would like to see? Absolutely, yeah. Claudia Mills and Lauren Oden, man, those are those are my people right there. They they did their thing on there and uh we toured together, they're part of my band Ben and Tom, you know, um, they're great. Mm. Definitely, man. I've never gotten a chance to see you perform live with your band, but um, I definitely look forward to it. Um, I guess the next time you guys come to New York, um, yeah. what 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 can people expect from your show with your band that have never seen your your your, your performance? I mean, when I perform, I always try to kill all my recording. Uh, my thing is like I try to really take it to the to the next level. That's what me and my band practice relentlessly to try to create a new experience so I mean we just try to do we just try to do the music justice and really try to entertain the crowd so I mean I can't really tell people I'm not that kind of guy that would say hey come because you're going to miss that show in your life I'm not that dude but yeah. I'll say if you come just understand that we're going to be trying our hardest to entertain you and it's not just playing the music it's, it's recreating the music live definitely so i mean in closing uh um adrian beyond all of the projects we've talked about what uh can people expect to hear next from you what's what's next in store for your music career you know where would you like to take it that you've never taken it before i mean i'm I'm literally working on that in my studio after speak i wish i wish i could make say what it is right now but i just can't (laughs) Say what it is, but I mean, no hints, man. Part, uh, no, no hints for I mean, the people to know. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, uh, my next two albums are West Coast, put it that way. Okay, stuff. so, um, it's just projects I can't even believe I'm doing, but I'm doing. So I'm wow, hip hop related, 
Yeah. Hip hop related. So, uh, yeah. So, okay. You know, we'll see what happens. Sounds great, man. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. years from now, when you know, people are looking back on your legacy, how would you like the impact you had on music to be viewed? I just want people to know that I cared about them. You know, I want people to listen to the music and say this guy really cares about the listener. He really cares about the fact that he feels that the listeners are intelligent and tries to challenge them and stay consistent and never really sell out his brand. That's what I want people to think of me. Well said, well said. Well, Adrian, I want to thank you again for... Uh you know, kicking it here with us today at Out the Box Radio, finally getting this interview down packed. Man, it was definitely a pleasure talking with you. I want to wish you all the best in your future career and all of the endeavors you have ahead. All oh, the best. man, thank you. Thank you for even thinking about me, and I appreciate it. And <laughs> this ain't the first time. I mean, this ain't the last time. <laughs> no doubt. We, we'll we'll, we'll just, meet just again, man. Time. We'll meet again. Yeah, sure. Now, um, you know, before we go... If you could kind of just, you know, let the people out there know, you know, where they can keep in contact with you, whether it be your yeah. website, your Facebook, your Twitter, just give them the details. Yeah, man. People could hit me up at Adrian Young on Twitter, and that's Young with the E, so that's Y O U N G E, and Adrian is A D R I A N. So it's at Adrian Young on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook at the same name. And um, yeah, man, just you know, people stay in contact, and you'll be kept informed as to what I got going on. If you're even interested, and, you know, I look forward to hearing from you. No doubt. And uh, people, remember, you can check us out on outtheboxmedia.com. That's www.outdaboxmedia.com. You know, you can check out our. Out the box radio shows as well as our TV shows that we've previously done, um, and you can check us out at Twitter at Out the Box TV as well as on Facebook, same Out the Box TV. My brother Adrian Young has in has been in the place with us today, doing a wonderful interview. Uh, we actually gonna get out of here with the last song, which is another favorite of mine off the Delphonics projects. Uh, and I'm going to have my brother Adrian Young introduce it. It's uh, off the Adrian Young Presents the Delphonics. Yes, this next song titled The Party's Over. Yes. And this song features William Hart with Sadia Mills and Lauren Elgin. And it's, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. One of the last songs that we actually recorded for that album. So I hope you enjoy it. And that album is called Adrian Young Presents the Delphonics. And that's on Wax Boys Records. Wonderful, wonderful. There it is, Adrian Young, Out the Box Radio. Party's over by the Delphonics. Peace.